everybody wants to be a part of the culture until it's time to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive. So we're having the uncomfortable conversations needed to spark the change right here, right now. We're your hosts, Kai Devereaux Lawson. And I'm Simeon Coker. And we say all the things you wouldn't. Welcome back to the Mixed Company Podcast. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Mixed Company Podcast. We have officially made it to the end of the year. Uh, It has been a year. What a time to be alive. What? What a time. What? What? I'll I might just stop there. What a time. What a time to exist in the world today as it is. And you know what? I'm just grateful that every year comes to a close and comes to a beginning. Simeon, how are you feeling? Uh, how are you feeling? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm Gucci. Uh, I've been, this is week three of being a dog dad. And um, dog dad. that is really interesting. <laughs> you know, if I'm honest with myself, one of the things that I did not have on my bingo card for 2024 was you becoming a, um, a pet parent. Um, and so, you know, just shout out to all the curveballs thrown our way in 2023. Uh, may they be nicer and more pleasant in 2024. Um, but we made it. I mean, at the very least, can we get like a heads up as to what's happening? Like, can I get like at least a week of preparation before the next major life changing event happens? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's actually a great way to pivot to introduce you guys to our guest for today so we are not alone as we're winding down uh we're going to talk to you guys a little bit about neurodiversity in the workplace with our subject matter expert of the day jeffrey cook jeffrey is a self-described uh is is self-described as driven by a passion to explore how culture and technology morph one another giving us new stories told in novel ways uh, and Jeffrey also identifies as a neurodiversity uh, self-advocate, um, I, uh, identifying with having autism and ADHD. And so we're excited to talk to you. There's a lot we can get into. So Jeffrey, welcome to Mixed Company. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for the lovely intro. Absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah there's, a, there's a lot. because Whenever someone asks me about this kind of thing, I always try to think, like, what's the first what's the first thing I can say that can catch their attention, right? Because, like, we live in a world where, unfortunately, like, tragedy is all over the place. Uh, that's why I always open up with, well, there's drinking bleach. That's a big problem. Yep. It's very, it's very 2020, but yep. Oh, no, no, no. That's what you see. Uh, the autistic community is where that actually came from originally COVID it, like adopted it essentially. So to speak, um, f- essentially since like, I think the eighties or something, um, there was a group called the second Genesis church or something to that like name, essentially that advocate for the use of bleach as a like medicinal thing. Um, now you can use bleach in extremely small amounts to, to like clean water, you can't use like pure bleach because that's straight up poison. Now, I think in like the early aughts that um, it started getting adopted by like mommy and me groups on like Facebook and other social media yep. that uh, bleach could be used to cure autism. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to get too far into it, but like essentially um, the um, 
FDA, I think, uh, one, one of the government agencies um, had to send out not one, but two notices to parents that bleach does not cure autism. Hmm. And unlucky for us, they're still they still have to send uh, these notices out. Uh, here we are nearly 30 years later because the folks just keep making things up. And so luckily for us, Jeffrey, you're here. You're going to clear some things up for us, share uh, some of your perspective on how best to navigate in the workplace. Um, and hopefully you'll be able to share with us uh, in our favorite uh part of the show, which is dope shit and ain't shit, as you know, for those of you that listen, where we talk about all of the current events in life that are just not uh, either taking us to new heights or really just not very representative. So let's go ahead. Let's kick off there. Simeon, do you have anything for dope shit and or ain't shit? Not really, but um, I was reading earlier just around like um, the brands that are partnered with HBCUs over the last two years and how some of those have been really effective. Um, or I guess ally these allyships between brands and HBCUs. Obviously, we've seen the one between like Howard and Nike. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's something, you know, just kind of diving into the research around uh, what happens when brands are really authentic about like approaching those allyships and really leaning into the cultures on those campuses and how it just leads to social equity. And so that's kind of my dosha. I think we've seen um, HBCUs in the spotlight really heavy in the last two, three years. Um, so to see those partnerships still going um, and not feeling like they're being exploited, even though it is advertising, um, I right. think. <laughs> I think it it is a good roundup of dope shit for the year because we're always looking for um uh responsible representation within these marketing campaigns that are looking for looking to tap into black culture and authenticity authenticity. Absolutely. Um I have a dope shit which is truly an interesting shit and so um one of the things as we are winding down the year, I know folks are are going to um, really kind of tap into their moments of peace, moments of solitude, aka shutting down the computer and not answering that shit until you absolutely have to. And so for those of you that might be looking for something to read, something to take your mind away from all things corporate, agency, brand, whatever... Uh, I do encourage you to uh, find this book on either Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, whatever, wherever you get your books from called Words from Hell. Uh, This is a book written by a wonderful uh, colleague of mine and also uh, one of, I guess, the best, if you will, in social media in the industry. Uh, The author's name is Jess Zafaris. Jess wrote this book, Words from Hell, Unearthing the Darkest Secrets of English Etymology. And so if you've ever wondered where certain dirty words came from, if you are a potty mouth like me, if you may have been raised by a sailor in real life like myself, uh, and you have an affinity for uh, vulgar language or even just language that may have come from really uh, vulgar uh, beginnings, I recommend you uh, you take uh, a minute to read this. And so the overview, the English language is where words go to be tortured 
and mutilated into unrecognizable shadows of their former selves. It's where Latin, Greek, and Germanic roots are shredded apart and stitched unceremoniously back together with misunderstood snippets of languages snatched from the wreckages of conquest and colonialism. It wreaks mercilessly, merciless havoc upon grammar and spelling and turns clinical terms into insults and children's tales into filthy euphemisms. And so if that piques your interest and you just want to know where the bad words really came from, or if you find yourself in a group chat with your cousins over the holiday season, season discussing the, uh, the, or the origins of the word uh, uh, of the phrase good morning uh, in relation to good morning, then this may be the book for you. Um, I did have a chance to uh, spend some time with Jess a couple of weeks ago just to congratulate her on the launch. Um, it's definitely a cool book, definitely got a lot of good learnings in there. Um, and if you want to use it like a dictionary, she's got a pretty dope index in the back that'll take you where you want to go immediately. So check out Words from Hell. Love it. Love dirty words. Love dirty <laughs> words. Love all of the dirty words and all of the uses, uses that use cases yeah. that you can get out of them. I mean, there's even, a, there's even a health benefit to it. I think there's some studies that show that you get like a tiny little release of like natural painkillers every time you swear. Mm. Mm. Hmm. Maybe yeah. I'm not swearing enough. Yeah, how like about how the fuck about that? <laughs> exactly. You know, the way we get kids off of drugs isn't we isn't telling them don't do drugs. We just, do more. We, you gotta go out on a Saturday night and just say the word fuck repeatedly for about four or five hours. Oxygen loss alone, you're gonna get like a nice high right there. For sure, for sure. What about you, Jeffrey? Anything piquing your interest or really pissing you off in the cultural zeitgeist? today uh i you know what there is always something pissing me off uh the the one i want to talk about just because it's thematic for today is obviously there is a lot of discussion about uh trans people right and there's a lot of states which are putting their autonomy into question now what if i told you that they were trying to use autism and adhd as a way of taking away the autonomy of trans people hmm. um in states like georgia i think alabama north carolina there's been legislation that they've tried to pass where um, uh, people, specifically children, are not allowed to get gender affirming care mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> until they get mental issues resolved. And listed upon listed in these are things like ADHD, depression, um, autism, which even if you treat these on a medical level, mm -hmm. um, they're chronic. Like there is no cure for them. Right. They are just they're a part of the body. So essentially, autism and ADHD has been being weaponized so that the tra trans community can't get permission to actually get gender affirming care. Mm. Wow. It's amazing how it's so easy for the government, for, for, for many for many lawmakers and many, um, I guess they're not advocates, but but ops, if you will, I'm going to speak like the kids, for many ops to just weaponize um, so many different aspects of life and how people live life to keep them from experiencing them, their full selves by creating like these false realities of like, you, you need to cure your ADHD before you can truly define or understand how you identify your identify or don't identify your gender. So I hate to hear that. Um, yeah, it's, 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 oh, sorry. 
No, I was going to segue, but go ahead. Yeah, it's just, um, it's a little known fact, but the queer community and the uh, neurodivergent community actually have a lot of crossover. So what ends up happening is that you see throughout history that a lot of famous people who uh, were thought to be both gay uh, or bi also ended up being like someone that you could today consider autistic, though you don't want to diagnose someone post-mortem, post-mortisly. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So I think that's a really good segue into our conversation. And so, Jeffrey, just over the year, over the last couple of years, you and I have had several conversations about neurodiversity, particularly in the position of the workplace. And so I'd love to just dive in and get us a, a get a sense from you, like how, you know, you're self-described subject matter expert, lived experience. And so I'd love to get a sense, like, how did you find yourself in the space of um, advocacy for neurodiversity? I mean, it's the old saying of, um, what is it? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And in that case, it was just that um, I started trying to be open about my autism, partially because I was like trying to learn more myself. And I learned best by like sharing things I've learned or like, you know, my favorite new video game that's come out um, or what book I'm reading. And it's through that learning that, you know, I can have a lot more self-awareness and be able to kind of ask myself tougher questions. So it was kind of a necessity, um, uh, you know, as a part of my own personal growth that I needed to be able to talk about it in the workplace because there were elements of... Um, of my autism that were impacting my work that I really needed some outside help or I needed some sort of support or even like just answering the question of like, you know, something doesn't seem a hundred percent like on target, like, because I know that autistic people, we kind of have some trouble with stuff and there's like a vibe that's off uh, and just trying to figure out how to describe what is the problem. And that that's, that honestly was like the biggest hurdle right there. Yeah, I mean, like, and it's it's been always been met with like mixed results. Um, I've had more than one boss, uh, very quietly and very carefully tell me, um, after I reveal after I disclosed to them I'm autistic, that I should be keeping it to myself. Um, not in any kind of like malicious way, but it was very much a like you need to protect yourself, or um, you know, we don't want clients or second parties to be aware of that because the, we don't want to give them the wrong idea about you. Um, and it was one of those things where in the moment I was perfectly fine with that. Cause to me on a logical set in a logical way, I like, I understood the logic. It was only in hindsight that I would look back and go, Oh, they were literally asking me to not be myself, but rather like do the thing that a lot of autistic people uh, have to do, which is called masking, which is that you disguise your symptoms, you even change your voice. Uh, for me, my emotional inflection is a lot more when I'm masking. Um, in other communities, like uh, I think it's uh, code switching in the Black community. Um, in the queer community, I've heard people anecdotally say like putting on your straight voice. So it's very much that chameleon effect. Mm -hmm. So, no good. Um, I think. We've heard like people using the word neurodivergent a lot in the last couple of years, especially when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. How would you define neurodiversity? So uh, neurodiversity is very much like the acceptance that there is no one, like 
there's no one type of brain, right? Like brains are not a uniform product that's going to be stamped out. And we all just have the same neurology. And the only thing that's different between us is how we were raised or who we interacted with. In truth, neurodiversity is being able to say that there are naturally occurring brains that are just built differently. Um, so for me, for instance, I'm autistic, ADHD, depressed. I had to do the hat trick uh, while you know while I was available. It was a two for it was a three for one sale. Um, and sorry, can you repeat the question? My ADHD is kicked in. <laughs> no, um, the question is uh, what? How would you define neurodiversity um, for people who are listening? And I think you started to like hint at like why it's important to the workplace, but I think kind of just grounding the idea of neurodiversity for for everyone. I think. You know, even with your definition, as you started explaining it, it's kind of like everyone sort of fits into that uh, description. Um, so I think giving people a little bit of color would be able mm-hmm. to help them understand exactly, you know, exactly what it is that you're talking about. Yeah. So it's very much like being able to say that um, different people are able to process the world differently or their brains process information differently. Uh, the way I've described it before to colleagues is it's almost like thinking about how a Mac is to a PC to a Linux, right? It's They're all the computers. They're all capable of doing the same thing. The only difference is how are they processing information? What programs can you get um, on them? And very much like, you know, it's it's less about what their capabilities are. It is more so about how they are able to um, build up to those capabilities, So for instance, me, autistic ADHD, I have a greater sensitivity to light, to touch, to sensory kind of stuff, but I'm also extremely good at pattern recognition. Like I'm able to just pick out um, like little patterns in large sets of data very easily versus like uh, there are other people who are much more gifted artistically. Like they can just look at a picture and be able to do an artistic masterpiece uh, that's an interpretation um others are able to just listen to an instrument and be able to just pick it up immediately i've seen and known friends who are now now that they know that they're autistic who are able to pursue not one but two masters at the same time while writing phd papers and that's just their casual version of fun Hmm. so yeah so it's very much uh, kind of accepting the fact that there is no one type of brain. Every single brain is completely different. And what does that entail? And that entails the fact that people will experience the world in an entirely different way. I, I think to like overly simplify it, my is my red, your red. Yeah. yeah. Right. And to and and to your point, I think, you know, as we've as we've grown this podcast and grown our conversations on this podcast, that's that's kind of what the whole point is is to really normalize the fact that there can be so many different ways i was going to say to 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 skin a cat but i don't think that that's appropriate but there's so many different ways to approach life and to understand how people think and to find people's strengths as opposed to just labeling differences as weaknesses that it is important for us to have these conversations you mentioned an experience that you had in the workplace uh, at some at some point in your career where you know you kind of uncovered yourself and and shared that you um, were neurodivergent and your supervisor at the time told you to kind of keep that to yourself. You know, don't 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 tell everybody because we don't need everybody in your business and we don't want to 
mess anything up. And I can imagine that, you know, you would agree that that's probably not the best way to go about it is to tell people to hide themselves or to hide the piece of themselves that um, you as a manager, you might feel is 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 different, weird or or unacceptable. And so I'd love to get a sense from you being someone who had who is in the workplace, being someone who's an advocate within the workplace, how do you recommend that companies foster inclusive environments for employees with different abilities, especially those who are on the autism spectrum? So I think like the important question, a lot of times when we're talking about diversity, um, also just side note, do you guys hear an echo? I just want to make sure I'm not like, okay. You're good. You're good. Cool. Uh, back to recording. So uh, oftentimes the question is, how do we hire more autistic people? How do we find more people with ADHD who are qualified? Um, the thing is, is that the luxury of being a neurodivergent is you can kind of be stealthy with it. There are a lot of people out there who blend right into everyday society who have severe ADHD, who when they get home, they have to go immediately to bed, pour themselves a drink because they've been socializing all day and it's like working two or three jobs. Um, so it is not so much you need to like find autistic and ADHD people, neurodivergence. It is more so that you need to make sure that they understand that it is safe and welcoming for them to come out of the woodwork. Um, and that's easier said than done. Um, you have to understand that for a lot of our lives, both people who are fully aware that they're autistic ADHD or are unaware and are undiagnosed, um, we're oftentimes just kind of very protective of ourselves, very protective of our individuality and our autonomy. So anything that can like feel quote unquote, like a trap or like, you know, quote unquote, like would make us feel like we have a target painted on us. Well, the question is, is like, if you're of someone who thinks in black and white, and that's how I do, and you think very logically, what's the benefit right there? You know, why would I risk my safety as, you know, someone um, and come out of the woodwork and essentially just have a giant flag, you know, saying I'm different? Um, and I understand, and like, that's the thing is like, I had that conversation with several people. I had family, I had friends who all kind of like cautioned, like maybe you need to keep it quiet in the workplace just because, you know, once you say it, it's out there, you, you can't take it back. And it's something that gets passed on in the background as well. And it's very much a like decision. It's very much a decision of being able to say, I trust the people around me and I trust my coworkers and I know that in spite of a system that may not be uh, the most welcoming to, to me, that the people immediately around me are people who I can trust and people who I can um, ask for help. And that's something that we need to be able to encourage more of. That means better awareness and better understandings of what is acceptable behavior, what's unacceptable behavior. Um, and what are the right ways that not just the company can step in to help, but how a manager can work hand in hand with the people that are under them to like really make sure they have the accommodations and the tools they need to bring the energy that they want to bring to work. For sure. What do you, what would you say some of those things are? Like what what are some of those behaviors that 
a manager, an employer, a coworker, a colleague, somebody can can exude to make a more comfortable, a more um a safer space for people to identify their neurodiverge uh neurodiversity. So I think a few things like let's just start at the very beginning, right? Like how do you even have that first conversation? Um And I, I would say that very much the golden rule is you have to let the other person start the conversation and you can never diagnose them. You know, as much as like, um, as much as like, you know, you can be an armchair expert in something, you know, you have to acknowledge you're not a doctor, you're not trained in that kind of stuff, and you're not inside of their head. Uh, so that would be irresponsible to just diagnose someone or tell them, like, I think you may be X. However, it is okay to suggest these things or be able to say like, hey, did you read the company's materials on neurodivergency? Um, hey, this is like an interesting article I read or something. Just dropping it in conversation because with that seed, you allow for the conversation to start, you allow for things to start growing and you're not putting anyone on the spot. Now, if it's they're unresponsive, you leave it as it is. If you see that it's growing, The next step is to really start to understand what is the experience that your coworker is going through. Um, I would highly recommend um, the book on unmasking autism. It does a great job of really illustrating what that process is like. Um, anything by Temple Grandin, um, maybe a little bit dated in terms of like her writing, but her message is still very, very strong as to like what is the difference between growing up autistic versus growing up neurotypical? Um, it's being able to understand what is um, autistic burnout and how is that different than regular burnout? Um, what does it mean when your uh, coworker is saying that they're having a little bit of PDA? And what that is, is that it is, um, oh, um, pathologic demand avoidance. It's uh, It's a self- advocacy kind of defense mechanism in our heads it's when if like it feels like someone is demanding something even if it's the nicest person in the world that we know is their our best friend um the brain just immediately says well hold on i didn't make that decision i'm not going to take those i'm not going to take any orders from anyone and even if you are fully willing and you want to do the work your brain just has a like block a kind of like blocker in there that makes it so much more difficult So being able to just understand what that perspective is. Um, and in terms of being able to figure out what works best, it is very, very important to remember that every single neurodivergent is going to be completely different. We are not cookie cutters. Um, some lessons carry over from one person to the other, but each person is their own very unique collage of traits and experiences. Um, As a, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So it's very much like you need to have that com that very clear conversation. You have to ask what works best for them as a, a as a, an autistic person, an ADHD person. But also you have to make sure that you're expressing how your working style works and what you need in order to succeed. And it's being able to compromise somewhere in the middle so that everyone is able to get what they need to do their jobs. And we do the thing that we're all coming in at nine o'clock and leaving at five, it, you know. You know, so to say. Yeah. Um, it, it's based on what you're saying, it sounds like whoever is managing or or engaging with this person who's nearly um divergent, 
uh, needs to be culturally fluent in how to be inclusive. Could you provide some color or like share a success story around somebody using some of those tools um, and and practices that you just talked about? So I uh, I have to like I have to like praise both my manager uh, Jody and my department head uh, my group head uh, Anna because I would say that they are very much um, kind of like the best examples of like of the people that I've interacted with in terms of how to really apply that in practice. I think just to kind of describe how that kind of ended up instead of like going through the entire long journey is it's really come down to two words, um, rhythm and momentum. It's being able to make sure that there's a rhythm to how a project works and that like that there's a bit of a predictability as to like what's the next step and what are we supposed to be doing? What's the goals? And making sure that you have that kind of fluency going through. And with momentum, it's very much patience on the part of the manager. Um, I mess up. I know I do. I get overly excited and I go in the wrong direction. The wrong thing to do is to like punish that kind of momentum. Instead, you want to try and redirect it. You want to try and like bring the person closer to being on target. Um, because if you can do that, you're letting them kind of get more excited. You're letting them process more information and making the connections. And it's just, it's kind of like a snowball effect where it just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. And you'll suddenly have someone who's pulling out articles from like obscure, um, medical journals that are able to like show you that, Hey, actually like, um, X reduces your stress. And this is actually a five, 5,000 person anecdotal study that gives some credence to this. Um, so being able to just get like insane amounts of detail and insane amounts of um, just capturing trends and patterns that you might otherwise not have seen. Got it. And that makes sense. And that, that cheers to you for, for having that kind of support system. Um, there are a lot of, I mean, you, you alluded to it earlier about the idea that, you know, Part of the the DEI spiel these days is we want more people who have who have different abilities and who are ethnically different and have different genders and all of these things. And, you know, in theory, all of that is fantastic and is great. But as we all know on this call amongst friends, amongst friends, but within mixed company, uh, companies have a really hard time actually doing the things that they're saying. And so, you know, just from my own experience, I think a lot of the challenge with that is, you know, there's someone giving a directive that we want the company to go in the direction of, in our case, hiring more people who identify with having uh, a neurodivergent, you know, a, a neurodivergent, who are neurodivergent or have a different neurodiversity. Um, however, I feel strongly that it's not just about bringing the people in, like you said earlier, Jeffrey, but it is really about ensuring that you have an environment that is is welcoming, is warm, is protective, is 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 conditioned for there to be people who share different abilities. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on how do organizations address any potential challenges or misconceptions surrounding the neurodiversity in the workplace because i think a lot of what companies do in their 
DEI reports or what they do when they go and they, you know, accept awards is is they talk about how, yeah, we want these people, we want different people, but they're not actually creating that space. And so in 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 providing a transparent workplace, how should organizations address the challenges and mis- misconceptions that are going to exist within their workplace? You know, I think it's like it very much comes down to you just have to first take you know, like take that first step and be willing to make mistakes and practice makes perfect. So it's very much being able to say like you need to be able to uh, start educating managers and and staff just on what are the basics of understanding neurodivergency. What are some of the conversation starters that you would want your organization to start thinking about? And we have to remember this is a new conversation. Unlike um, a lot of a lot of other social movements in the last uh, hundred years, neurodivergency is very very fresh and new, and it's something that doesn't quite have that established language. It's very new and kind of tough concept for people to like be able to understand, um, like net new. So there is going to be some mis- some missteps. However, I would say that I would prefer to know that a company is trying their best and being open about it and making mistakes than a company that is saying that it's doing its best and as an employee feeling like I'm kind of living a weird life of being told my life is better, but not feeling it. Um, So it's very much, it's that. I think that part of that is even, you know, we work in marketing. So I would say if we want to get better at talking about neurodivergency, we need to start putting more people with neurodivergency into ads. Um, the estimates vary because there's a lot of people who aren't diagnosed, but it's estimated that people who are neurodivergent make up between 10 and 20% of the population. Um, that is a very large part of the population who have never been talked to, never have been kind of treated as part of the conversation. And, you know, also just they want to be have some recognition um, at some point. And, you know, as much as like, you know, marketing is about making sure that brands make money, there is a byproduct whereby a lot of times marketing has helped to uplift communities that otherwise didn't really have a lot of other avenues to be heard or needed a little bit of extra support in being heard. Um, Subaru helped normalize lesbian culture. Nike, um, as much as you can be problematic as a brand, has also elevated um, the colored community's voice in media in general. It's not the cleanest system. It's not the most well-intentioned system. But I think at the end of the day, it is a, it, it's, it's effective at normalizing otherwise marginalized groups. So that's my very long-winded way of saying you can get better at talking about neurodivergency within the office if you start trying to talk about neurodivergency outside of the office. You know, as you're talking, it reminded me of something I used to say when we started uh, the podcast, where it's like we, as marketers, as people work at agencies, we basically tell our clients that this is something that we can help them solve, like figuring out how to better the experience of the consumer or the end user. And in this case, it's the employee. Um, And so I think any agency, any creative company that is... um, saying that they want to make their workplace more inclusive for neurodivergent people, 
should approach it like this is like they're their clients, right? Because they would take the same energy, they would take the same effort to really unpack those insights and come up with a solution that would benefit everyone, the people who are neurodivergent, but then also helping the people who are already there who who may be more within, um, I forget what the, the term that you use of um, people think more in line with the general public figuring out what is that solution that works best for everyone to make sure that they're getting to an end product or, or a culture that is inclusive for everyone that's involved. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is that there is no one solution that fits all because right. whatever solution fits the majority of people is going to leave out the minority of people. So there has to be some flexibility in whatever your solution is. Um, for instance, um, very much like something that I've helped been benefited by is the fact that I kind of need a smaller number of more high intensity projects because but with that focus, like we talked about, I get that momentum easier. Sometimes you have people who end up on five or six different projects. And it's something where I've had that express conversation with my manager of I can do that and I can deliver the bare minimum product. But if you want me to give you my best work, I need something that is much more focused um, because I'm able to keep that momentum and I'm able to kind of have my brain not feel like it's getting thrown off every five seconds. Right. And I, and, and I think that's a that's a really good point. I'd love to get a sense from you specifically in marketing. You, you do mention, Jeffrey, like, you know, the visibility isn't there. I, I wonder what the visibility looks like because, you know, you mentioned it initially when we started the conversation. It's not necessarily something you can't all you can't necessarily see autism. You can't necessarily see ADHD. And so for the creative directors listening, for the casting agents listening, what does that look like to include more neurodivergent talent in the work that we produce or what what should what should it look what should that process look like where should people be included more well so let's like talk about what like first like what like autistic people and ADHD people divergence can add to that creativity because i think that is a good question and it like i want to be able to if i can make it so one creative director listening to this goes holy shit that's a good idea um i will be so happy um which is to say, you have to think about how, especially with autism, there is a far higher sensitivity to touch, right? To routine, to pattern, to um, having this balance of, like, if you are autistic ADHD, having a balance of wanting complete and utter order, but also having your brain be in complete chaos and, like, firing off a new idea every, like, other second, Um it is about being able to understand that people can look at the world and have a completely different way of interpreting it, which I think as like anyone who's creative, that opens up so many possibilities because now you have justification of being able to show the world through the eyes of um, a completely different creator, right? Or someone who has a completely different relationship with say sound and light and uh touch like for me i'm someone who um every so often i just want i put on headphones um my brothers will joke i'm the only pe person they've ever known to put on sunglasses in a dark room uh true story just because my eyes were feeling extra sensitive um it's it, it it's wild um but i don't know i've been to the club 
<laughs> that is that that is actually very regular. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, if my brothers are listening to this, there you have it. I'm not weird. You are. Anyway, uh, um, it's also like it, you open yourself up. I guess like I want to give examples of creators that are autistic who are ADHD who are out there to give you an idea of like how like divergent like creativity is a little bit different. The way I've described it is it is the beauty of chaos, right? Um, and I think there's no better representation than of that than Jack Black, who is openly ADHD, right? Um, I think that Anthony Hopkins, who's openly autistic, uh, is this very kind gentleman kind of figure in every single movie he's in. If you've ever looked at his social media, the man is unhinged. I love it. Um, you know, it's being able to have this balance of having everything in order and everything in routine, and yet at the same time having this desire for just novelty and um, something that's new and different. And like, how do I take this thing I'm so familiar with and how do I break it in just the right way to make it a little bit more interesting? Got it. And so it, so it becomes less than like a look, which I think when we're talking about casting in campaigns and, and, and TV spots, it's, it's less about a look and more about just the integrity of the, the level of talent that you're including. And I, and I agree with that both in front of and behind the camera. It's, it's, it is about creating environments in corporate and in creative spaces where people who are neurodivergent can thrive. It is about, in you know, Casting somebody who is kind of like, I don't know, casting a Jack Black who, I don't know, he might be a little off, but I think he's got something special that we could use here. And like just letting that be, letting normalizing that so that it can be a part of um, not just the story you tell, but the integrity of the, of the, of the system that you're trying to build. To kind of to kind of build on that, I think it's also just getting familiar with what is the style and what is the intent behind like how divergence think and how like create like looking at our creativity is a great way of getting a sense of like how our brains work. Um, if anybody wants to get a sense of like what it's like from like a systematic area, I always recommend Kafka, which is like very stodgy of me. Um, I always recommend Jack Black if it's like, well, give me a sense of like the music in terms of like uh, filmmaking. Um I don't know if I would no. I wouldn't consider him autistic. Never mind. I don't want to make any assumptions. Uh, um, you know, I you you need to be able to go out and find those kind of examples and being able to have people who have been there the whole time, and how do they like represent that in their work? Billie Eilish is a great example um, because she has Tourette's and she actually uh, has been very open and very uh, like forthright with it recently. Um, but I think Justin Timberlake also has ADHD as well um, and has been like very open about it. So it's being able to understand what is that difference, but then being able to kind of be uh, be able to say, okay, so how do we foster an environment where that kind of thinking, where that kind of creativity, where that kind of approach to thinking can be fostered, right? Where we have people who are willing to not just look and find new patterns, but are always wondering, how can I improve this? How can I change this just a little bit to make it, give it that extra bit of spice? Um, how do I find, like, how do I make it so that everything is nice and ordered and yet is also novel and interesting? 
Love it. So I think it's good. It's a good time for us to start to just kind of wrap up this conversation, but I, I love it. And so Jeffrey, you're the, you're the subject matter expert here. If there's one thing that people should walk away with uh, in terms of, of building and creating, I was going to say softer spaces, but that's just because I like, <laughs> I, I am looking for a soft life, but safer spaces for people. I mean, I mean, like, you know, the, the way I would, I'm sorry to cut you off the, the way I would say it, like autistic people, we work Divergent people, because I want to make sure I'm not uh, unincluding ADHD people um, and people who are depressed and et cetera. Et cetera. Anyway, um, we work so hard to accommodate you, right? Um, and, and I'm not talking to you, Kai. I'm not talking to you, Simeon. I'm talking to whoever is listening to this, right? We know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I will. I think in black and white, I have to explain it so I understand it. Yeah, anyway. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway. We work so hard to accommodate you, mostly because we are scared of you, not because you actually are there to threaten us, but because we're worried that if we show you who we actually are, who we feel most comfortable being, that you will leave us, that you will judge us, and that you will immediately make assumptions that we are now this completely different person. All we ask is that you take the time to just offer at least a small part of that accommodation back. We're not asking like for you to burn down the world. We're not asking um, for like some sort of giant revolution. We have that scheduled five years from now. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. What, what we're asking for is just, you know, I don't know what I would call it, but I guess the respect to make sure that if we're willing to accommodate you, that you're willing to accommodate us back. And through that, we can just, you know, get back to work because we want to work. We want to contribute. So just fucking let us. Jesus. Yeah. I love that. One final thing. Um, I know you mentioned some public figures um, to consider. Are there any resources or books that you would or one or two resources or books that you would recommend that uh, someone who is a manager, someone who's, who's in charge of fostering these spaces should read or uh, reference when they're thinking about how to make their environments more um, neuro-inclusive? So the unfortunate thing, and I always say being the wet blanket, is I have to start with what is the organization you should at no point at any way trust or engage with when it comes to autism, which is Autism Speaks. Now, a lot of people are probably surprised at that because Autism Speaks, to those who don't know, is the single largest um, lobbyist for autistic people in the world. It also has some affiliations with what, what some people might describe um, eugenics and um, is actually considered by I've seen I've seen like anecdotal polls of like 80 to 90 percent of autistics consider it a hate group, like on par with, well, take your pick. Um, and it's one of those groups that while their PR, their PR has changed over the last 20 years, um, their central met their central core purpose, which is to fund research, to find the quote unquote cause of autism, which is just a medical way of saying, how do we cure autism? Um, is that has never changed now the resources you can pursue. Okay. Now I'm taking the wet blanket off. Um, 
ADD, ADD Magazine is a pretty good place for just general neurodivergent news and articles. Um, I would say that ASON, uh, the Autism Self-Advocacy Network, is possibly the best go-to organization if you want to consult someone to consult. Uh, they are also going to be the most mature in their communication efforts as opposed to other groups. Um, I was just seeing today that there is a group that is focused on people of color um, with autism, which you know, uh, is definitely a group of people who are wildly underrepresented. Those paying attention to you, when I gave you uh, those examples earlier, you may have noticed that they were mostly white guys. Um, getting back to the, like, uh, so ASON is a good place. Um, part of it is like, I can only give like good resources for autism. I was mentioning Temple Grandin, very good place. I would say unmasking autism would probably be your first go-to because it really does walk, walk through the experience of what is it like being an autistic person accepting their autism, which is a very long, complicated, and emotionally like twisted kind of journey. Um, I can talk from firsthand experience. Um, I would say that those are good resources to get started with. Um, and then just from there, uh, be careful. Unfortunately, the biggest kind of tragedy of the autistic community is not only are there not a lot of good resources out there, there are a huge amount of inaccurate or misinformed or like malicious resources out there that will try to have like, uh, that will try and be working against autism. Um, it sounds like very doom and gloom and systematic, uh, almost like it's the start of a movie or something. But unfortunately, it is a very big problem is the lack of good information has breeded a culture of misinformation. Well, so, we really appreciate yeah. you sharing the resources you have, the thoughts you have, perspective you have. Um, to your point, it's not discussed enough. And so we definitely wanted to make sure that we included this conversation um, in, ours, in our, our bit for this year. And so, Jeffrey, thank you so much for your time. Thank, Thank you, you for your patience and us getting well, being well, able to get time together. It's been a been a wild year for all of us. Um, well, th well, thank you. And is it okay if I just like shout out uh, to my like uh, very quickly to my family? Absolutely. Yeah, I just want to say that um, no one autistic person can solve all of their own problems. It truly is like the people around you. And I will have to say, like first and foremost, I would not be a fraction of the person I am today if it wasn't for my mom. Um, my dad's always been that inspiration of hard work and just being able to problem solve. And both my brothers and my sister-in-law have been shining, guiding lights of self-acceptance and creativity. So that's my way of saying I love you guys. And also, you're not getting Christmas presents. This is my way of telling you. <laughs> I know that's right. All right. Well, cheers to everybody not getting Christmas presents. It means that you are above a certain age. Take a shot for me. Uh, thank you for all of you that have listened to our episodes as we restarted the podcast this year. Uh, thank you to all of our guests. Thank you for all of the fodder, the conversation. Um, it's been it's been a year. It's been someone said it to me today. It's been life is lifing, but life is still good. Um, and so for those of you that continue to share in this life with us, we wish you a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful winter whatever it is you're doing over the next couple of weeks 
Um, and hopefully uh, you have the opportunity to listen to us in the new year. You know where to find us. You know how to listen to us. Y'all take care. Peace out. Take care. Peace out. Good night.